The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, that sort of food can be notoriously difficult to navigate your blood sugar around because how that affects your blood sugar is completely different to quote unquote normal food. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, <laughs> hello, and welcome back again. And I'm saying again because me and Graham just just recorded part of the episode, and halfway through, I said, "Oh, Graham, I think my microphone settings aren't on the settings they should be." So we had to scrap the whole first half of this episode. So now this is the first half again. Graham, I'm so sorry. No, it's interesting, isn't it? We have to get our <laughs> head back into the first part, even though we recorded the first part, then press stopped, recorded the second part, thought it was okay, checked the tape, wasn't okay. So now we're going to go back to the first part again, but it's okay. And you know what? That's our dedication to the Insulone yeah. podcast. Yeah. We are going to re-record this and make sure this is for the the, this is the best audio experience. <laughs> yeah, we're re-recording get. the podcast. We're redefining diabetes. Boom! It just kind of goes in, in place with it, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah. Boom! We're feeling good-ish. Kind of. <laughs> Half of us are feeling I'm absolutely good. raging. I'm raging. <laughs> but look, what can you do? Anyway, I hope you're well. I hope you had a good week. Thank you for joining us. This is going to be a good episode. Graham, what's the crack? What's happening? Well. Let's just say, before I fully say what's going on in my life, it's not as if I have much going on in my life right now that I can't re-record this episode. I have no plans and I can't have plans for at least the next 24 hours. Ooh, there's a tease as to what's going on in my life. But let's start with you, Owen, because it's exciting. Yes, sir. Tomorrow are getting your first dose of the COVID vaccine, Mr. AstraZeneca. Here you come. When did you get contacted about it? I'm excited. You're more excited than I am. I am. (laughs) Yes, I am getting the first dose of the vaccine tomorrow. Can't wait. I got a call, a missed call on Wednesday evening. 
from a strange number. And I was like, who was calling me at half nine on a Wednesday? So I went up to go call them back. And as I was about to, the number called back again. I answered, is this on Costello? I said, it is. Who's speaking? This is yada yada from Diabetic Clinic. Do you want your vaccine on Monday? Yes. And I said, yes, I do want my vaccine on Monday. Thank you very much. That was basically it. So 2 p.m. tomorrow. Can't wait. And it's funny, I had announced it. Well, announced it. I had told people in the Facebook group that I have. Actually, yeah, if you're not part of my Facebook group, get on it. Good for information and support. And I'd said it then to a few clients who had got theirs. And then I just said it to a few others. And I think three more of my clients are getting their vaccine tomorrow in the Aviva at the same time. So presumably they're just kind of going around the clinics telling people, do you want your vaccine? Uh, Yes, I do. When they call you, do they tell you which vaccine you're getting? So they sent me then a confirmation text to confirm date, time, location, and said, this is the first dose of your AstraZeneca vaccine. Gotcha. So do you know people, so obviously there's a lot of talk about our vaccination program here in Ireland. Um, It's a little bit slower being rolled out than around the world, but the UK and the US seem to be going gung-ho, getting it done. Do you know people there or anywhere else in the world that have got the vaccine? Have they got the two doses and how have they reacted to it? Because... Is it the same as getting sick where your blood sugars will rise to, obviously there's going to be a lot happening in your body if you're going to be injected with a little bit of it just so you can fight it then again um, and get up the antibodies. What's the story? What would the reaction be? Well, firstly, yeah, I know a good few people now in the States, particularly who have both doses, which is great, and a good few people in the UK who have at least their first. So it's good to know people are getting them. But yeah, I suppose much like the virus itself and any flu or cold or sickness that you might get with type one, it can be pretty unpredictable in relation to how your blood sugar reacts. So like we had touched on in the past, when you're sick and you have type one diabetes, your body is releasing glucose to kind of help fight that illness off. Now, if you don't have type one, your body secretes insulin naturally and deals with that accordingly. But obviously, if you're taking insulin manually, you have to kind of fight both. You have to fight the sickness, first of all, and then you have to fight to keep your blood sugar within range. But there are some people I know that have got both vaccines and have been grand, like almost no no effects at all. And then other people who felt, well, yeah, after the first kind of two or three days I felt really under the weather and my blood sugars were a bit all over the place so I'm going into tomorrow kind of prepared for that already I'm aware of the fact that my bloods potentially could be acting up over the next few days I could potentially be feeling quite ill but it's expected for the most part so yeah I'm just delighted to be getting it it seems as if there's some sort of normality in sight yeah. after all this time, which is nice. But <laughs> it's good news for me. What's the story with you, Grant? In a completely parallel universe in my life, for the first time, I will be getting a COVID-19 test tomorrow. So basically, I usually suffer from sinus issues. And you could probably tell the odd time when I'm on this podcast, but I'm sure you can tell more so 
on this week's episode that I'm a bit more nasally. And it was just nasally for a few days in the middle to the end of last week. And then over the last 48 hours, I'm kind of getting these headaches, feeling a bit more lethargic. And then this morning I woke up with these spots on the back of my tongue. Now I don't have a temperature. I don't have sore throat, but I rang the doctor this morning just to err on the side of caution because I still go into a place of work. So I would get into a lot of trouble if I came in sounding like this tomorrow, considering I do talk for living on the radio (laughs) and if I infected people, because I'd say we're down to about 10 to 20% of the people that are in the office, but we are still in the office. So we are told if you do have any symptoms at all, just to get tested, just to be certain. So I rang the doctor this morning. They said, yeah, we'll put you in for a test. And I am waiting for that. Probably will be happening tomorrow. So fingers crossed it will be negative because uh, you know when you are t- when you when you do something when it's your choice it, se- it seems fine but when you're told you can't leave your room you're kind of going ah, I can't leave my room for the next but I want to leave hours, my room <laughs> even though I spent most of my time in my room anyway but that is my choice <laughs> not, not because I'm <laughs> yeah, told exactly so fingers crossed anyway so it is. if it is the virus Graham Yes. Where do you think you may have picked it up from? Because you're always, you always have been so cautious of it all. Yeah. Look, I've no idea. You, you know yourself, you can pick it up absolutely anywhere. But I think the fact that I still go into work. Now, in our place of work, as I said, we're down to the bare bones staff. Only people who are really needed in the office to broadcast are actually in the office. All the producers and sales teams and everyone else is working from home. There are still people in there and as good as everybody can be in social distancing and washing your hands and sanitizing your hands and you can still touch a surface. You can still make a coffee in the morning. You're still making your porridge in the morning. You're still touching a keyboard that someone else may have touched the night before. Even though you do sanitize things down, things can slip through the net. So I reckon it could be there, but it could be from the supermarket. It could be anywhere like that. It could be on the street, you know, you, you just don't know. And that's why it's blooming, spreading so quickly around the place. I remember I was having a conversation with my cousin relatively recently. And we were saying, imagine how convenient it would be if the virus was a different color. Mm. As in, imagine on a surface there was COVID-19 there or around and it was a luminous yellow. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm just not going to touch that area. <laughs> you know? That would be handy. Yeah, that, How handy that would be. That kind of blue light where you could see all the... Do you remember in Room Raiders? Do you remember that show on MTV? No. Well, yes, people... I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm that? talking oh. going here now? Where people used to just go into people's rooms and they would... I think they would pick a date with a person based off what the room was like, but they'd always turn off the lights and they'd have this blue light looking for stains and disgusting yeah, that's stuff. horrible, isn't it? Imagine if we had that before COVID. So you'd walk into the staff kitchen and you could see, and I go, yeah, I won't have a coffee today. I think I'll just turn around and wait for someone to disinfect the place. So yeah, yeah that it would probably make life a lot more handier, but unfortunately it's invisible. And you Imagine the gyms it. then, if you could see. Oh my uh, God. I remember... When COVID was around, but the gyms hadn't quite fully closed yet and they were kind of sanitizing things and stuff. I was wearing a mask in the gym all the time and I was absolutely pumping 
the hand sanitizer in the gym, like pumping it. And I used to use equipment. And then after I finished and before I finished, I get the disinfectant spray and it would actually be dripping with disinfectant because I wanted it to be clean. But there's, there, would be, there would be times where you'd see people walking in without hand sanitizing their hands and you'd, you'd feel like just getting a dumbbell. Get <laughs> Because <laughs> if you when you think about it, like obviously if someone has it and they're sneezing and they're coughing, okay, granted they're going to be coughing all over the stuff. But if you don't have it, but you just touch the surface and you're walking into the gym, by the simple act of just sanitizing your hands, you're in theory eliminating it from your body, and then you're walking in and then you're clean. But when you see somebody walk in and you're like, it's such a simple step to do. It's so simple. And I remember that around the same period of time, actually, yeah, it was before they closed down fully, but they had just opened again. Everyone was super excited to be back in the gym. And you could see everyone was doing their sets and they were spraying the dumbbells and putting it back and everyone's kind of giving each other thumbs up. And yeah, we're all kind of in this together. That soon weaned off mm. after about three or four sessions in there. People were kind of just throwing the back up and not caring anymore. And I was like, ah, oh, but Sherlock, if we go on and on, on we won't stop. <laughs> We will not. Anyway, moving on from vaccines and potential positive COVID-19 tests. <laughs> how has, be fine, Graham. You'll be fine. Fingers crossed. How has the weekend been on? Anything to tell me? Yeah, the weekend's been good. And I went a bit wild last night. All right. And got a pizza. <sighs> not like me. I know that's a yeah. bit... Uh, a bit crazy <laughs> to go and have a pizza. No, but I was just, I was craving one yesterday for some reason. I don't know why. And it was funny. I was chatting to one of my clients. She, so she religiously gets a pizza and chicken wings on a Saturday. It's just like part of a weekend. So I had been chatting to her earlier and I was like, oh, I'm craving one now. So anyway, I, I, uh, I got a pizza, boneless chicken wings and regular chicken wings. So you are essentially influenced by your client. 100%. She, and look. She planted it in the head and you went yeah, for it. 100%. And that's a, a good example of how anyone I work with, it's not like super, super rigid meal plan that's unrealistic to follow. I make sure that people are enjoying the way they're eating, but still moving towards a fitness goal that they might have. And always focusing on the importance of meal timing, carb counting, insulin timing, and understanding those things that are the key to you kind of eating anything you want safely, rather than another meal plan that you might just be like, eat chicken and rice at 6am, eat chicken and broccoli at 10am. You know, it's important for me that anyone I work with can still eat how they like to eat so that they can maintain that over an extended period of time while still optimizing their blood sugar, health, and fitness. So yes, I was I was influenced by, by her getting a takeaway. So I was like, oh, I definitely want one now. So I got a pizza. What was on and, the pizza? Uh, uh, chicken, spinach. I think like this basil paste. Like, oh, I don't, I can't even remember. I, I, it was inhaled within five minutes. Inhaled. So... Did the timing of ordering the pizza, was that thought about in regards to your diabetes management and what time you were going to bed? Because I do remember you talking before 
about the pizza effect. So was this all in your head? Absolutely. So ordered it online to be delivered at about 630. Mm-hmm. And I knew that eating it at 630, if I, even if I was to go to bed at 11.30 or 12.30, that's a solid five, six hours after I eat the pizza for me to sort out my blood sugar if they don't go as, as I would like them to go. Because as we know, takeaway food and particularly pizza, that's why it's called the pizza effect. That sort of food can be notoriously difficult to navigate your blood sugar around because how that affects your blood sugar is completely different to quote unquote normal food. So like we touched on before, the pizza effect essentially is your blood sugar reacting very differently to normal meals that you might have. And what I mean by that is if you have Chinese food or Indian food or takeaway or pizza, you will likely see your blood sugar spike hours after and almost just like an extended spike that feels as if it's not going to come back down sometimes and that's because generally with those sort of meals there's a very very high carb content very 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 high fat content and like we've touched on before within this podcast that high level of fat completely slows down the rate of digestion so if your digestion is slowed down that completely delays the release of that glucose from the food into your system, causing a spike three, four, five, even six hours after you eat the food. So it can be very, very difficult to go about it. And again, like like most things, as, as we say on this, so much of it is just trial and error. Understanding how you may be affected by it personally, because I'll be affected by it differently to somebody else would be and somebody else would be different to them again. But how I went about it last night, generally what I'll do with a normal meal is I'll carb count and then depending on my blood sugar before the meal, I'll take my insulin 15 minutes prior to that because I know 15 minutes pre-bolus for me usually is that sweet spot. Whereas with pizza and takeaway food and last night specifically... I went about it a different way. So what I did was I split my insulin dose to counteract that delayed spike. So couldn't carb count it because it comes in a box and you've no idea what's in it. <laughs> so, and that's, that's why takeaway food can be very unpredictable because you don't really have any way of carb counting accurately. And even if you go to a restaurant or get takeaway food and it has it on the website or something, it's still not really that accurate because it could be a different person making it and they load on a handful more cheese or roll the pizza dough with extra dough or whatever it is. So it's never going to be exactly carb counted accurately, as accurately as I would like to be. So it's kind of just like you're eyeballing it. So what I did was I eyeballed it came up with this rough estimate of what I think the carb count would be. So let's say, or what was it last night? I think it was like, I think I'd I'd started at 10 units for the whole thing, right? So what I did was I split my dose to 50-50. So I took 50% as a normal pre-bolus. So I took five units, 15 minutes before the meal. 
And then I saved my remainder five units about two hours after the meal because I knew that even after I ate it, I was going to get that delayed spike from, as I said, the, the slowed down digestion from the high fat content. You still with me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Grand. So took my five units before, ate the pizza. I stayed stable for the entire time up to the two hour timer I had set for my second bolus. So then I took the remainder 50%, which was five units to counteract that delayed spike. Kept steady for maybe another two hours. So two hours after the second five units? E- no, that's that's a lie. I went up to 10, went up to about 10.8. That, so that's not too high. That's about 180 MGDL. It's obviously higher than I would like, but all things considered... 10.8 isn't overly high given the circumstances. So around what time are we at now? So you had your pizza at half six? So I had it at half six. I think I spiked up to about 10.8 at maybe half eight or nine, mm-hmm. I think. Took my second dose, hovered around 10 for maybe half an hour. I was... Super patient with my insulin as much as I wanted to take more to bring it back down faster. I was super, super patient. I said, look, I'll wait it out, see how it responds. Didn't really go anywhere. I wasn't overly obsessing over my CGM because I feel if I'm just looking at it, I'll just kind of get pissed off if it's hovering around a number I don't want it to be at. So anyway, put that to the side for a while. And then... I think I checked again when I was going to bed and it went up to like 12.8. So I had to take more insulin. So essentially I took three doses of about 13 units in total. So even after I had taken pre-bolus, delayed two-hour bolus, and then after that, I still continued to spike. So it just goes to show you the impact that it can have that you can eat your meal at half six and your blood sugar can still be spiking at 10, 11, 12. That's a big thing that people can struggle with when they don't really understand how that type of food can affect you. Because I remember back in the day, I would have a Chinese and I take my entire insulin dose before the food, like you're supposed to with regular food. But what would happen with that is because the really, really high fat content would completely slow down digestion, I was taking my insulin, eating the food. My insulin would be working faster than the food would be released. So my bloods would drop. I would treat the hypo. Then about two, three, four hours later, because the food is finally being digested and being released into my system, I would skyrocket and I would skyrocket for hours. Okay. And I know whoever's listening to this podcast right now has had the exact same experience. They eat a pizza, they've taken their insulin, they're like, why am I dropping low? And then they treat the low, and then three, four, or five hours later, their bloods are spiking. They're like, what is going on here? It's that delayed spike from the really high fat content. So a split bolus is the way to go. Absolutely, 100%. Would, 
Oh, I suppose it's so subjective though, depending on what you're eating. But you're saying that with Chinese and pizzas and all that. Would you approach eating out the same as that in terms of eating in a restaurant? It's I know it's slightly different, but if you were to say go to a restaurant or even a pub, let's say, and have burger and chips, because you can't be sure of what's in it and how much carbohydrates is in it, would you kind of treat it the same? Pretty much, yeah. And I think like... The vast majority of the time when you go to a restaurant, the food tastes so good because very, very high in fat, very, very high in salt, very, very high in carbs. That's just the reality of it. Essentially, it is impossible to accurately carb count the meal that you get unless you go into the kitchen and cook it yourself. (laughs) It's not going to happen. So with that, I always follow a split bolus when I'm eating takeaway food or when I'm eating at a restaurant. Now, both of those things haven't happened (laughs) very often this past year and a half so i haven't really needed to consider it that much but split bolus and i always overestimate i didn't overestimate enough last night but i always overestimate what i think i need for that meal because the chances are the meal that you're eating at a restaurant now not if you're eating like a, a salad or something But if you're eating a pizza, you're eating burger and chips, you're eating the Chinese, the chances are there's a much higher carb and fat content than you would probably think. So I always overestimate. And how are you feeling this morning after it? All good when you woke up? Perfect. Fresh. Delighted. Because so so many times you could have had a Chinese back in the day. And you, I, when I wasn't fully aware of my insulin activity, my, my meal time and my split bolus, all these kind of things, and I'd be fighting my blood sugar for, for the whole night. And I'd be going to bed at, say, 12, and my blood sugar would be rising till the next morning. And I'd wake up and I might be like 13, 14, 15, well over the 200s. <clears throat> I was wondering when the voice crack was going. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, well over 200 mg, and you'd wake up the next morning and you'd be like oh I, like like i say your head's thumping you're dehydrated you feel as if you've been drinking or something the whole night it's awful um so no woke, woke up fresh today felt good and that's probably the last pizza i'll have for a while <laughs> i want to talk about a topic that i remember hearing on number 56 with tom And it kind of works nicely into this narrative where you had the pizza last night, you went to bed and then you woke up. But I remember you saying something about when you wake up and it was a term that I didn't quite understand. I'd like you to go into more detail about. It's foot to floor. What did you mean when you and Tom were talking about foot to floor? Yeah, foot to floor is one of those aspects of diabetes that I feel not a lot of people know about and they should know about it because like we preach all the time on the podcast, the more, you know, the easier things are going to be, the easier you can put your blood sugar together and these kind of things, you map your days out. So basically what foot to floor phenomenon is essentially it is what it's called. When you wake up, when you put your feet on the floor, when you start moving around, starting your day, your blood sugar can spike. Now that happens much like the dawn phenomenon. That happens because there is a release of hormones into your body naturally, cortisol, adrenaline, glucagon, which 
cause your liver to naturally release glucose. Now, the function of it is because you've been asleep for six, seven, eight hours, you're fasted. Essentially, your body doesn't have energy to do what it needs to do. So it needs your stored glucose, which is glycogen, released into your system as energy. Now, much like the dawn phenomenon, with with the foot to floor, it happens to everybody. It can vary in severity in relation to how high it might spike your blood sugar. But even if you're not diabetic, it's likely happening. Now, like most things, if you're not diabetic, you don't have to you don't have to worry about it because your body will naturally deal with it. Your body will naturally secrete insulin to counteract that spike. Whereas, like myself and anyone else listening, our body doesn't produce insulin, so we need to take insulin manually. So it can be very, very, very frustrating to wake up. It's happened to me so many times where I wake up. Obviously, the first thing I do is check my blood sugar in range. Delighted. Ready to start the day. Then I get up, move around, do a couple of things I need to do, check my blood sugar again, and I've gone high. And you're like, what the f-? Like, why hasn't blood sugar gone high? I haven't done anything. I haven't eaten anything. I haven't even drank water yet. <laughs> you know, not that water affects you, but... And you're thinking, why is my blood sugar high? And it can be super frustrating, like I said. But that's what it is. It's that it's that natural release of glucose into your system to kind of kickstart your day, give you energy to go about your day. Because you don't have any food in your system. You haven't eaten for six, seven, eight, nine hours, depending on how long you've been asleep. So you can kind of go through phases of it. Much like the dawn phenomenon, it's likely never going to be permanent. And it can sometimes be unpredictable. And what I mean by that is I have gone through phases where I knew the dawn phenomenon was going to kick in. So I would take two units before I even got out of bed because I knew I was going to see that spike. And much like the foot to floor, I would go through phases where I'd get up at a time, my blood sugar would be in range, but I knew that my blood sugar was going to spike. So I take insulin before I saw the spike to counteract it, kind of catching it before it occurs. Now, you can only do that if you're aware of the fact that it may potentially happen that day. And you're only going to be aware of certain things happening to you if you're analyzing your blood sugar each day. Now, you don't have to analyze them and obsess over them, but take a look back from your day and say, okay, what happened today? Why did they go high? Why did they go low? What happened there? What was I doing? What did I not do? Which caused that spike or that drop? And when you're aware of these things, you can do what you need to do to prevent it as much in the future. So how I have kind of dealt with it in the past. Now, it's not from my own experience. It's not as though I'll wake up at five millimoles and then I'll spike to 20. It could be I'll spike to 10 or 11 which is still pretty high i don't want to be in that range what i've done in the past to avoid it is like i said take insulin before it even happens based off my experience up to that point exercise first thing in the morning if you go well me personally i know i'm going to drop with a walk or a run so i'll walk or run first thing in the morning to counteract it. now i haven't done that in a while because i haven't needed to but that is a way you can do it i would also strongly suggest avoiding a very high carb breakfast 
if you see your blood spike naturally in the morning. And I say that because when our blood sugar is high, it wants to stay high. When our blood sugar is high, it has momentum to stay up there and it's a lot more stubborn to get back down. In my opinion, you should not be eating if your blood sugar is high. Because if your blood sugar is high, you're just adding fuel to the fire and it's a lot more difficult to get back down. So ideally, I always want to eat when my blood sugar is back in range. So avoiding a very high carb breakfast can obviously help with that because as we know, primarily carbs are what affect your blood sugar the most and the most rapidly. Particularly if you're eating something like cereal or toast, like white bread or a typical sort of breakfast that somebody might have, it's obviously inclined to spike your bloods quite quickly. So if you wake up and your bloods are, let's say five, they spike naturally to 10 or 11, or that would be like 180, 200. If you then are eating on top of that, and maybe potentially not even a pre-bolus, your bloods are going through the roof. And then you're already on the back foot to your day. I always say not to react emotionally to your bloods, look at them objectively, because there's always a reason something is happening. But sometimes it's it's hard not to. First thing in the morning, if your bloods are through the roof and then you have lunch or then you have breakfast and they spike again, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, give me a break. I just want to start my day normally. (laughs) So it's in our best interest to make clever decisions around breakfast time if we suffer from foot to floor or dawn phenomenon clever decisions that will benefit us throughout the day instead of just being like ah my blood sugars are 15 it's grand i'm hungry i just want to eat anyway it's like i appreciate that you're hungry and i understand that you're hungry but it might be the best thing for you just to maybe hold off for half an hour an hour let your blood settle slightly or like i said don't have a super high carb breakfast because you're, you're just kind of adding fuel to the fire. That makes sense. That explains the foot to floor phenomenon. How many of these pheno- phenomenons, I can't even say it, phenomenons, <laughs> how would you, phenomenon? Phenomenon. Phenomenon. There we've got the dawn, we've got the pizza effect, we've got foot to floor. I look forward to uncovering many more as oh. the podcast goes on. Yeah. More phenomenons, the better. Or if you can't say phenomenon, you can say effect. <laughs> the dawn effect, <laughs> simple enough. <laughs> Foot to floor effect. Uh, yeah. Owen, thank you as always. Best of luck with your vaccination tomorrow. And uh, I could you. see you as we enter the Aviva Stadium. It'll be turn right for fun sunshine vaccinations and turn left <laughs> into the underground car park for really dark and <laughs> it's grim. dark and grungy. <laughs> yeah, might get a swab shoved up my nose to touch my brain (laughs) well look if things go wrong with the vaccine i give you permission to take over the podcast (laughs) who knows they could find out i've got diabetes tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) yeah fingers crossed who knows oh thank you as always and as we always say the insulone podcast at gmail.com if you've got anything any questions any queries any stories if you want to be a guest i know we got a load from last week's episode um, the one where we did touch on the email so we are working our way through them and trying to organise guests and everything for your listening pleasure in the upcoming weeks and months so we've got lots of you to look forward to 
Absolutely. We're getting loads of emails in these days, which is great. It's exactly what we want to see. Loads of questions, loads of stories coming in. We are going to do emails as an episode each month, which I really enjoy. So don't hesitate to reach out. The more, the better. We love them coming in and we will get, we will get through them all. And always appreciate you listening. If you are getting value from the podcast and if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate, review and share with whatever you're listening to because it really helps the podcast, helps us reach more people, helps us help more diabetics because I'm sure the podcast has helped you. Well, I hope the podcast has helped you so far. So appreciate you listening and have a great week. Chat to you soon. See you. Peace.